0: Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello. Many years ago, before my Honours year in Psychology, I wondered why the natural curiosity and love of learning in kids seemed to diminish throughout the schooling years. This led me to self-determination theory. A major component of self-determination theory is autonomy support. I thought I had autonomy support figured, acknowledge feelings, provide rationales, and give choices then I had kids. I've been wondering how to apply autonomy support principles with kids, especially in scenarios where I feel it's important that I get them to do what I think is best, and when they're too young to understand or don't seem to care about the rationale. I was excited to read an article by Professor Genevieve Major addressing exactly this issue. Genevieve works at Montreal University. She's studied autonomy support throughout the lifespan, with a particular focus on parent and child interactions. She's also evaluating a parenting program, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk, which I'm very curious to learn more about. Here's the interview. Hello, Genevieve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to have you here. Um, So in your 2015 paper, you mentioned three components of authoritative parenting. I've heard these referred to as the three key components of successful parenting. I believe they're autonomy, support, acceptance, and structure. Can you talk a little about each of those?
1: Yeah, with pleasure. Uh, Acceptance, structure, and autonomy, support uh, can be viewed as the ingredients that make parenting optimal for children. Uh, So these parenting components are important because they actually address Three specific and fundamental psychological psychological needs that uh, all children have, no matter what their age is, no matter what their background is, no matter what their culture is. Even adults uh, have these three needs. So before we can know how to parent, often it's useful to uh, know what children actually need. So first, um, children need to feel loved, connected and accepted. And this is called the need for relatedness. Uh, We are all wired for attachment and people just fare better when they feel that they are loved and cared for. So parents can fulfill this need uh, by being involved in their children's lives uh, in a caring and accepting way. So this is the first parenting dimension, which we can call acceptance or we can call it uh, caring involvement. Behaviors such as providing love, warmth, comfort and support all fall
0: into uh, this category. I okay, can I guess uh, I guess uh, the opposite of that would be conditional love or some techniques that would indicate that you're loved only when you're behaving well
1: Exactly. You can uh, think about rejection or neglect uh, when parents ignore their children or when they make them feel that they're unwanted or that they are a source of disappointment. Uh, When parents criticize a lot, also it it can make them feel uh, unloved. Yes.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: And the second, the second psychological need is that children have is the need for competence. Uh, children need to feel capable of achieving the desired results. So they need to feel that they have an impact on their environment. And we can only think of when we look at even babies, we can see that need uh, being expressed when only when we see, um, when we see uh, babies become so thrilled because they were able to move an object, then that's when we can see that the need for competence is there uh, at the very uh, beginning. So to help children develop their competence, parents need to provide structure. And this is the second parenting component. Um, So providing structure is to set clear rules and limits to children, It also means that parents are willing and able to enforce these rules uh, when children disobey, and this is when sometimes it becomes complicated because we don't want to control our children, but we want to uh, provide structure. Uh, High-structure parents also have high but realistic expectations uh, which help their children develop their abilities to function uh, harmoniously in the society that they live in. So the idea is to create an environment that provides optimal challenges uh, and that respect the child's developmental level as much as possible
0: okay that's really interesting I'd never heard the connection between um, competence and limit setting yes so
1: because parents parents make demands all the time and sometimes they've Get to um, to verify if their request is adjusted to the child's developmental level. So, for example, asking a toddler to stand still for two hours on a chair is maybe too difficult for him. So, we kind of uh, uh, set them to uh, to fail sometimes. So, before we ask something, maybe to step back, wait, uh, just um, assess whether the the child is able to uh, fulfill our request.
0: Mm okay yeah very interesting
1: so parents need to be involved and they also need to provide structure but what we know however is that the way parents will be involved and the way that they will provide structure makes a big difference so parents who are who are uh, controlling, that is, who are more intrusive, coercive, and who pressure their children to to think a certain way, to feel a certain way, and to be a a certain person. They have usually children who are poorly adjusted or less uh, well-adjusted. So what happens is that in controlling context, children tend to become either too rigid in the way that they comply with the rules or they become defiant and they fail to self-regulate. So one of the reasons that controlling parenting yields neg- negative outcomes is that it thwarts it children's need for autonomy, uh, which is the third psychological need that human uh, beings all share.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. that's, that's interesting. So the autonomy support in a way determines is talking about how that acceptance and structure is, is sort of plays out in a way, especially exactly. the structure.
1: Exactly. So autonomy support is almost the quality of structure and it's the quality. It's, it's behaviors that you put in into your structure and your involvement to make it more autonomy supportive. And to understand what autonomy support is, we really need to understand what autonomy is. And autonomy is not uh, being independent. Uh, So in that context, autonomy is not the idea of doing things by ourselves or necessarily choosing everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Autonomy in this context refers to the sense of agency and ownership of our behavior, Uh, and this can... er even when the behavior is asked by someone else mm-hmm. so we can feel autonomous when our behavior is is uh, congruent uh, coherent with our interests or values uh, we can feel we feel autonomous when we are allowed to be ourselves to have separate thoughts and feelings uh, so we can, even if someone asks us, let's say to clean our bedroom, we can feel autonomous by uh, doing it if we understand why it's important that we are being asked to do that and if we endorse our behavior. So it, as adults, I think we can all uh, remember a time where, where we felt controlled by a boss or by someone because they were treating us like an object, uh, trying to make us think, make us do things without necessarily taking the time to explain to us why something was important mm-hmm. so controlling parenting uh towards the need for autonomy because it makes children feel like pawns or puppets and the the, the child feels like they're not a real person to in the parents eyes
0: mm, okay yeah
1: So the opposite of controlling parenting is autonomy support, uh, which is to show consideration and respect for the child's distinct internal frame of of reference. So do we treat our children as objects that we can control or do we really consider their their thoughts and feelings? Do we communicate respect for the child's individuality? Mm -hmm. So parents can do that by being empathic. They can be informational instead of being evaluative, and they can be uh, they can be supportive of active participation. So I'm going to go uh, just talk to you a little bit more about each of these. So being a uh, empathic, to be empathic, parents welcome they they can welcome all emotions and thoughts, even if they put limits on the behavior. So one of the way that we can provide structure in a more autonomy supportive way is to really let the child express their feelings and thoughts, even when we disagree with them, uh, and and to hear them first and to to let them disagree with the rule, let them be unhappy that they have to clean uh, the room. And we can talk a little bit more about this later on if, if you'd like. Um, they can also be informational instead of being evaluative. So to describe what they see instead of evaluating the child's personality. So that has been uh, proposed before. It's really to provide information and to focus on problems instead of blaming or instead of attacking the child's character and uh, to be supportive of active participation means to involve children in decisions to uh, ensure that they have room for for, for to make decisions themselves and also to include them in problem solving when possible so those three features kind of define what autonomy support is.
0: Okay, yeah, fascinating. So you'd be empathic about how they're feeling about the sort of certain request you made, um, but you'd also perhaps recognize that they're really enjoying playing with this at the moment and maybe we could allow time for that now or allow for time for that later or discussing those sort of things as well as the problem of how do we get this place clean.
1: Exactly, exactly. And when actually when um, we teach parents, we we have uh, we we actually offer the parenting program, how to talk to kids. So kids will listen and how to listen. So kids will talk. And in that program where we teach parents is really the first session is about how to listen more actively to our children. And when we learn how to listen to them uh, and when they feel heard and they feel understood as a different person, as a person, uh, often they will be more open open to listen to our structure
0: afterward. Mm, okay. Yeah, great. What does autonomy support look like when parenting pre-verbal children? Um, yeah, it's.
1: it looks like, uh, well, first of all, I want to say that even with babies, we can interact uh, with them in a way that supports their autonomy or in a way that is more uh, intrusive. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we can put a toy in front of their eyes and Uh, force them to look at at the toy uh, when we want them to do so, or we can put the toy just a little bit to the side so that the the baby can decide when to look at it. Uh, With a little uh, older children, we can force toys in their hands or objects in their hands, uh, or we can offer the object and let the child take the take control of when he wants to take the toy. Um, so there's, it's really, um, a way to, uh, it's a stance where we take the child's perspective as much as possible every time we interact with the child. Uh, so in research uh, autonomy support is often defined as providing choices uh, f- and for sure when children are given a choice they feel more autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, however uh, providing choice is not the only way that one can communicate respect for the, ch- for the child's individuality. So feeling autonomy uh, is not necessarily making choices only. It, it just means that I understand why you're asking me to do something and I feel that I can be a separate individual. So as I mentioned, autonomy supportive behaviors um, are more autonomy supportive when they have one of three features. So with toddlers being empathic would mean uh, that uh, parents acknowledge the child's feelings and thoughts when they occur. They listen to the toddler's perspective, um, and and they know their toddler's preferences, so they can reflect that prefer- preference, and they also listen acti- actively to their emotions on a given moment instead of trying to convince them that they're not feeling what they're feeling, mm-hmm. uh, to be more empathic. Um, to be more descriptive or informational instead of evaluative. Uh, Even with toddlers, that means that we can just mention why a rule is important. We don't need to convince them to that to agree with the rule we simply need to provide the information that they need to eventually integrate the importance of that of that rule um so for example we can explain the importance of brushing their teeth uh it can also mean to establish a routine so that the toddler can learn uh, slowly learns what comes next and he uh, can prepare better for it and Slowly, he can be in charge of the daily steps when he's ready to uh, to do so. Mm. It, it also means to uh, state the rules and expectations in a way that is non-judgmental. Often, we don't really realize how we talk to our children, but mm. sometimes there's that edge of impatience mm. that we have that... We uh, kind of communicate. How come you haven't learned this yet? You know, and and children are learning. They will make mistakes. Um, they they forget what we ask them, and when we remind them of of our expectations in a way that's compassionate and in a way that that communicates that we believe that they can make changes or, or that they can learn this, it gives them more courage to um, to try to uh, to learn these rules. Um, also, uh, we can provide alternatives between acceptable behaviors and we can model acceptable behaviors. So that's all different ways to uh, provide structure in a way that's not judgmental or not evaluative. Mm. And finally, even with toddlers, um, autonomy support does mean to offer choices, uh, but we need to make sure that the choices are age-appropriate to support uh, children's Um, competence. If we we give them choices that they're not ready to make, then they'll feel incompetent with those choices. We can also... We can also support the um, toddler's natural tendency to explore. Uh, toddlers love to explore and they want to learn stuff uh, from in an intrinsic way. And parents often have a very strict idea of what they want them to learn now instead of following the, the child's lead. So we can adjust this to, to follow the, the child's lead to be able to um, to give more power to the child when they... In the play uh, periods, or when there's no necessarily no rules to uh, to enforce.
0: Yeah, right. So allowing them to choose what they're playing with next, um, to the yeah. degree that's yeah. possible. Yeah, exactly
1: exactly and and sometimes it also means to show uh, toddlers how to be helpful so if let's say a toddler is is disturbing the the dinner prepara- preparation we can uh, offer something to do or we can say well you can help with this and to to just um give a bit of control to the toddler so they can they can feel that they actively participate in their lives
0: mm, okay yeah, so another question I had was um, what about toddlers who can, can understand but often won't make the best decisions? And I get, guess part of that that you just touched on is that you don't give them decisions that are, are too are beyond their ability to make a good decision. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So children are just never too young to be given a choice, Um, but but the choices need to be tailored to their developmental level. So for example, um, we shouldn't ask toddlers if they want to brush their teeth, uh, but Mm -hmm. we can ask them when they want to brush their teeth. So they can brush their teeth before or after the bath, for example, Mm -hmm. or they can they can decide when they're gonna eat their vegetables. They, do you want to eat your vegetables before or after or just the, the, to, to try it in every situation to try to find uh, some part of the situation where the child can decide for himself what he rather uh, do and, and, but this does mean that parents will often make decisions that the child will not like. So uh, with toddlers, since they don't have self-regulatory uh, capacities yet, they are not, they can't. Decide everything that they want. I remember a parent telling me that their that that their toddler wanted to um, lie down in the streets. <laughs> so often they can have desires that are just simply unreasonable or as, uh, unacceptable. Uh, so parents do need to put structure, and putting that structure uh, makes children feel more secure. They know that if they can't regulate their parent will do it for them and that makes makes them feel more secure uh, but we, even when we set limits parent can be more autonomy supportive by providing the reasons for the limit uh, so lying in the street is dangerous <laughs> and to show respect for the fact that the child may feel resentment towards these limits so it is it you are you do feel disappointed that you're not able to sleep on the street
0: mm. So the, um, so the way that you set limits is you acknowledge their perspective. Exactly. You,
1: you, the way you said to provide limits in a more autonomy supportive way is really to, to set limit in a way that's not punitive. So the goal is not to make the child suffer. Mm -hmm. The goal is to work together towards a better harmony and and I think when when we set rules and we try to make it work children really appreciate when we see them as as a real person in that process and we try to collaborate uh, with them So, so when we teach parents about parenting skills often the first thing that parents want to know is how can I set limits Or what am I supposed to do uh, when my child is not listening? And this is a totally legitimate question. Um, But we usually tell them that before they can set limits, they need or enforce limits. They need to, um, to learn how to create a climate of cooperation. And to create a climate of cooperation, parents first need to learn to listen differently to their children. And they need to uh, learn to really listen instead of arguing or uh, voicing advice. Often we don't really realize. But when our toddler or when our child is expressing a feeling, we often uh, try to make it better right away or we often solve the problem for them uh, instead of really uh, listening. Um, Can I give you an example?
0: Yeah, please.
1: So let's say a child comes into an ice cream parlor and he says that he wants seven ice cream, for example. Mm -hmm. So a typical response for a parent is seven ice cream. What are you saying? That's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much each of them cost? Do you you want to be sick? And often that's the way we react. We react to the reality of their uh, demand or their feelings. Mm -hmm. Another way to is more permissive. Uh, we can say something like, uh, seven ice cream, oh, okay, well, I'm pretty sure you're going to be sick, but if this is really what you want, uh, this is a way to respond that's not reasonable either, because the child doesn't really have the, um, the knowledge to know that seven ice cream is not reasonable, and it does cost a lot of money to buy seven ice cream. But there's a third way we can say something like we can really listen to their feelings and desire and actually give them their desire in their in fantasy so we listen to the desire but we still put limits on the behavior so we can say something like seven ice cream huh wow you really love ice cream and the child can say yeah and i can say i bet you could you could have one of every flavor and the child says, yeah, I bet you would like to have a train with 10 wagon with a different flavor in each wagon. And the child says, yeah. And then you can say, oh, you do love ice cream. You can have two flavors, but you choose which one you want. Mm-hmm. So what did I do there? I really listened to the desire. I even explored that desire with the child. But after a while, you say I listen to you, and but I put limit on the behavior. This is the possibility, and then I offer um, him a choice so he can be more active in in the, solving the problem of wanting seven ice cream, but but not that the fact that it's not necessarily reasonable uh, to have uh, seven ice cream. Mm. So to their wishes and we can even grant them in fantasy but we try to restrict the child's behavior and without attacking the character so without saying you're unreasonable or without saying this is crazy um, so when we learn to really listen to our children then they are uh, more prone to uh, be open to listen to us to, be, to listen to us so when we they feel listened um, they feel heard I, I mean um, there, they will tend to um, listen to to us more uh, effectively afterwards. Mm. So, parents master the skill of listening. Uh, we teach them how to talk differently to their child. So, we teach them to listen with full attention. And this is actually the hardest part: to listen without uh, giving an advice or. <laughs> telling them that no, they're, they're tired or no, they're not tired. Mm -hmm. Um, when they, 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 so we let the the parent go out for a week Mm -hmm. and practice listening. And then they come back and they realize that the child looks at them differently when they learn to listen differently. Mm -hmm. Um, so when They master the skill of listening. They are then taught to uh, talk differently to their child. So we don't often realize just how many instructions children hear over the course of one day. Uh, And most of the time, um, children are asked to do many. They they are asked to do so many things that they don't want to do. And they often forget uh, to do what we ask them to do. So when we try to uh, ask them for cooperation in a way that's not judgmental, they actually really appreciate it and it creates a climate of cooperation. Okay, so when parents... Mm, so when parents ask... For their child's cooperation in a way that's descriptive, without attacking their child, without blaming them, they actually protect their child's self-esteem, and the child feels better inside, and they feel um, more focused on the problem to be solved or on the task that they have to do. And instead of being uh, upset by the way we ask them things, they can concentrate on what they the um, what, what, what we ask them. So. If I give you an example, Mm -hmm. if a friend of yours comes to your house and forgets her umbrella, how how are you going to react? Are you going to say, how many times do, do you forget your things at my place? It's the fourth time you forget that umbrella here. I'm sick of you <laughs> uh, forgetting this umbrella. Do we talk like that to our friends? No, we don't. We don't. We talk to them with respect. We're probably going to describe the problem uh, and just say, um, Melissa, your umbrella. And, and we are uh, confident that our friend will take the necessary step to fix the problem. And we can actually do that with our children too. We can expect the best out of them, and we can communicate that we are confident we are confident that they will solve the problem that that we raise uh, with them. So, for example, um, let's say if there is shoes all over the floor, mm-hmm. I can simply describe the problem: there is shoes all over the floor. And if you listen to them before. Then they're used to having a relationship with you where both of, uh, of you listen to each other. And then they're going to listen to what you said and, and look up and look whose shoes it is. <laughs> and once they, when, once they see that it's their shoes that's on the floor, and if you, you wait for them expectedly for them to pick it up, they see that it's their it, the 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 power is in their hands to fix that problem and and children don't like fights either mm. and children like it when it's harmonious and and they like fixing problems so if you describe the the, the problem without blaming them then they're more open to fixing it mm. and it does work because children are not robots yes. <laughs> if that. Work, yeah, we can provide information. So we can say, we we can trip on shoes and it can really hurt us. Mm-hmm. And then that's another t- uh, piece of information that kind of tells the, the child that's important to get up and pick up the shoes. So often children will look up and they will realize that it's their shoes and they will try to uh, solve the problem.
0: I enjoyed recording this podcast so much that when I looked at the time, I could not believe it. We'd started chatting at midnight Australian time, and when I next looked at the time, it was 2am. I find this area so inspiring and love how Genevieve was able to translate the theory into real practical approaches. I've split this into four parts so you don't get overwhelmed, but I really hope you'll listen to all parts because it really is such family life-changing information. Next episode, we examine what to do when children won't listen. How to address ongoing problems, more on providing structure and enforcing limits in an autonomy supportive manner, and the difference between psychological and behavioural control. In the third episode with Professor Major, we talk about using routine charts and some of the risks and alternatives to sticker charts. We also look at limit setting for boundary testing behaviour and addressing frequent misbehaviour. Finally, in the fourth episode, we discuss the parenting beliefs behind autonomy supportive and controlling parenting behaviours. Supporting older children as they move from a more controlling environment to an autonomy supportive one. And get more detail on the program that Professor Major and Associate Professors Yuzmay are evaluating based on the book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode with links to future episodes once they become available and other resources at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash autonomy. So that's A-U-T-O. N-O-M-Y. You may have heard last time that I'm re-entering the workforce. I want to continue these podcasts, though, which will be easier if I know that you appreciate the content. I've created a way for you to let me know that you value this content and keep me accountable to providing this content for you and for millions of other current and future parents. I've created a Patreon page at www.patreon.com, so that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash practicalresearchparenting. Through Patreon, you can pledge an amount of your choice per podcast I produce from whenever you sign up. You can pledge as little as $1 per podcast to let me know that you value my content. I won't post more than two podcasts a month and probably one per month on average, so you won't go broke. For $3 per podcast, you can submit topic or interviewee requests and for $5 per podcast, your question or topic will take priority. Check out other Patreon-only rewards at www.patreon.com forward slash practical research parenting, or follow the link on my show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash autonomy. If you aren't ready to donate at this time, but love the content, please consider leaving a review for the Practical Research Parenting podcast on your podcast provider, such as iTunes or Downcast. Reviews really help others to find me and give me feedback, which I really value. Till next time.